0: So we continue in our series from the Epistle of Philippians. And we come to Philippians 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. And the reason why I divided that, 1, 2, and 3, is because 4 through 11 is really Paul's personal testimony, which is an illustration of what we hope to hear about today. So, uh, well, he just loves the the Lord's work, what he's doing in the congregation of Philippi, he also sees dangers. And he also warns them of the dangers that threaten the fellowship in Philippi. It's very applicable to our day and age as well. But I'd like to um, read as well Philippians 1, 27 and 28 and then Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Because in uh, in our text, in Philippians 3, verse 1, he talks about Now, i remind you of the same things. Well, what are those same things? I believe those same things refer to uh, what he's going to address uh, there. And that brings us to uh, Philippians 1, 27, 28. We'll read that as well. Philippians 1, 27 and 28. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, you could say the truth of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. And then two... (coughs) Verses 14 through 16, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And then our focus, our text this morning is Philippians 3 verses 1, 2, and 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, or you could say troublesome, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh and then those following verses are the illustration in Paul's own life and we trust in our own lives as well But that's more next week so Philippians 3, 1, 2 and 3 you know today of course is a different kind of day and age than when uh, when I was young 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old I recall as a young boy The warnings my siblings and I received from my parents. What would happen is, every day when we would go to school, we would have to walk one and a half kilometers, (laughs) one and a half kilometers, to go to our bus stop, so that the bus could pick us up. And we did that. But our parents always warned us, stick to the side of the road, in case the cars come by, and... Don't play with the river, especially when the waters are full, right? Or if someone offers you a ride, say no. So they always warned us of the dangers of that. Okay? But, you know, what's interesting. On that road, there were no buildings, no homes. It was strictly fields, one and a half kilometers of walking. You know... They would remind us to walk together, to walk on the side of the road. And they did that because they really loved us, and they wanted to protect us, right? There's there's security in what the family says. There's security in what parents say. It's safe. Well, it's like this for the Apostle Paul with the congregation of Philippi as well. He's addressing whom? He's addressing members Brothers and sisters in the family of Jesus Christ. Notice how he begins. He begins with that call. He says, finally, my brothers. Now, of course, it means sisters as well, or sisters. Brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. He uh, he wants them to find their joy in whom? In the Lord. That's the only way you're going to find joy, is in the Lord himself. That's the location for our joy. They're united with Jesus through faith in him. And they're not to let those who bring a different teaching, a false teaching, to rob them. Those are dangers he's warning them about now. Be careful, beware of those who want to rob you of the gospel of Jesus Christ and rob you, therefore, of your joy and your koinonia, or your fellowship in the gospel. And Paul already had said to them very clearly, Be careful of your adversaries. By the way, these adversaries he's referring to today are those who were members of the church but teaching a different gospel. Stand fast, he says in verse 27, in one spirit, with one, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. which say for the truth of the gospel. And don't be afraid of those who oppose you. You stand by faith. And he instructed the congregation to combat them with what? Not with weapons, but not with sharp tongues, but with the word of life. Because that's the power of God unto salvation. And so, like a father, Apostle Paul says to the church in verse 1 For to me, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you, it's for your safety. It's for your safekeeping. It's your spiritual safekeeping. You know, salvation is the most important thing in the world. There's no greater importance. Everything else, if you don't have salvation, there's no safety in this world. (laughs) There is no safety. Our only safety is in Christ. And This is Paul's aim. This is his vision. This is what he um, wants to uh, defend them in. Defend them in their in their position in Christ. And so he calls them to guard their fellowship in the gospel. How? First of all, beware of those who bring a false gospel. Okay? Which is really no gospel at all. But then second of all in verse 3, you know, be affirmed in the truth of the gospel. Be assured of the true gospel. So first of all, be aware of the beware of the false gospel, but be sure, be assured Of the true gospel. Beware the false gospel. Verse 2. You know. This is reality. Satan wants to harm the church. He wants to seek to destroy. Your fellowship. Or our fellowship. In the gospel. And how does he do that? By trying to take away from the very essence of the gospel itself. The truth of the gospel from them. How? Well, he uses false teachers. False teachers. To try to make them believe that Jesus is just not enough to save you from your sins. Satan will use people even in the church to say. You need Jesus. Plus, you need something else for your salvation. You need Jesus, and you need to be a better person. Right? Jesus will only come to you if you go to him. You need to be a better person first. That's a false gospel. Or, you need Jesus, but also your good works for your salvation. Or, you need Jesus and certain kinds of feelings. Or you need Jesus, and you need to be able to speak in tongues. The crafty ways of that sneaky old devil, Satan. And he knows what he's doing. He loves to use groups within the church of Jesus Christ, and talk about generally, to try to remove our confidence, and our security, and our safety, the solid rock security in Christ. And this is what's happening in Philippi. And Paul sees it. And this requires a bold, bold response. Verse 2. He said, beware of dogs. He's not talking about woof, woof kind of dogs. He's calling people, these people, dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Strong words, but those words were very, very necessary in a context like this. Jesus used words like this too. So did John the Baptist, especially when it concerns the apple of God's eye. Who are the apple of God's eye? His people. Don't you dare touch my people. It's worse when those battles come within the church. These false teachers were teaching that you need Jesus plus what? In this specific context, they said you need Jesus plus circumcision in order to be saved. You need Jesus plus be circumcised to be saved. These words have in mind one kind of enemy, a one kind of enemy with a threefold description dogs, evil workers and mutilators may offend our sensibilities or it may offend us to hear that kind of language but it's scripture and that's how we need to see those who oppose, who want to take away the very heart of the gospel and make the church uncertain and make the church remove itself from Christ how did this situation develop in Paul's day? how did it come about? we have to go back a bit in time Remember, the Apostle Paul, who was he sent by? He was sent by the Holy Spirit to preach the true gospel, the full gospel of Jesus Christ, to whom? To the Gentiles. They were considered the dogs by the Jews. But there were also Jews at that time too that also confessed Jesus Christ. They were believers in Jesus Christ. But they started changing the gospel. They said, yes, Jesus, but in order to attain at least complete salvation, you also need to be circumcised. It's a Jesus plus system. Jesus plus, and you can fill in the blank, whatever you think Jesus, God needs from you in order for your salvation. Jesus plus. In the Old Testament, circumcision indeed was commanded by God. as a sign of the covenant, a sign that you belonged to God. But it was also a sign pointing to Jesus to come, right? It was a shedding of blood, and it points to the greater one who would shed his blood on the cross for us, Therefore, thereby, after that, nullifying that sign as a necessary sign to use today. But now that Jesus had come and shed his blood, many Jews, even Jews who were believing in Jesus, were not willing to recognize that the right of circumcision was no longer necessary. And this group in the church was called the Judaizers. Okay? So these were not the unbelieving Jews. There were two groups of Jews. There were the Jews who were throwing stones at Paul, right? those who rejected the Messiah. But these were, they wanted a foot in Christ and a foot in their own flesh, right? a foot in their own uh, confidence in Christ and confidence in themselves as a means to get to God. Judaizers. And this conflict became so heated in the early church that it led to a meeting of all the churches in Antioch. The Judaizers, what did they do? They marched off to Antioch, saying to the Gentiles, you you can look it up in Acts 15, verse 1, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. The result of the meeting, however, was a victory for the gospel Of Jesus Christ. Gentiles need not be circumcised in order to be saved. But you know, the Judaizers did not give up. They continued to preach a Jesus plus system, a Jesus plus do something for your own salvation. Apostle Paul, if you read Galatians, he contends for the truth of the gospel. And he addresses the Judaizers in Galatians 1. He says, they have a different gospel. As a matter of fact, the gospel they preach is no gospel at all. He said, let them be accursed. Very strong language. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let them be accursed. You can read those words in Galatians 1, verse 9. Very strong. But you know what? Something else that can be said about Judaizers. They were fine members in a lot of ways. They're very moral people. They live very clean lives, very upright. But Satan was using those people to try to draw God's people away from Christ and the complete, perfect salvation he has accomplished for all who trust in him. And so Paul now flings that derisive of label at them. Dogs. The very term the Jews were always using against the Gentiles. Now Paul's not thinking about dogs as pets. It's nice to have dogs as pets. But he's talking about dogs who were roaming on the streets. Right? Rumbling in the garbage and snooping here and there. Really unclean, filthy. Dogs. Beware of them. He called them evil workers. You know what? The traits of those uh, with the Jesus plus system, well, they'll tell you to believe the Bible, but they always want to add something and say, yeah, but you need to do this. You need to be speaking in tongues. You need to be baptized by immersion. You need, there's so many things, and that's what they work on. That's what they play on. They play on those extra additional things. Jesus is not enough. Or oh, you don't have the Holy Spirit because you need to do this. Paul would say, "Evil workers," or as Second Corinthians says, "Deceivers, deceivers." Second Corinthians eleven thirteen. Clearly, they reject the gospel. As one author says, "Here is Satan's demolition crew working hard, very hard, to demolish God's beautiful palace of grace and peace." They insist, yeah, they teach Jesus, but they insist on this one thing. In this case, they insist on the right of circumcision that's necessary for salvation. But really, what are they doing? They're only mutilating themselves. They're only cutting themselves off from Jesus Christ. Is Paul being loveless here? (laughs) He's not being loveless. Okay, he's full of love full of love for Christ. Think of koinonia. It's about Christ and others. Right? Paul is filled with love of Christ, affection for Christ, but also that affection spills over for his people. He loves those people who, whom God gave to Christ, whom Christ has washed with his blood, forgiven, renewed by the Holy Spirit. He's thinking about their spiritual safety. That's why he uses such strong language. You know, the one of the proofs of the love for God's people, is the the strength, sometimes, not at all times, of the language that we use to show how much we love them. Think of it this way, the warmer the affection that you have for your son or daughter, right, the deeper will be your distress when your son or daughter's life is in danger. You wouldn't believe the kind of language you might use to defend because of your love for for them. So it is here. And that brings us to verse 3. He's saying, you know, you continue to believe what has been proclaimed to you. You stand firm in the true gospel. Paul affirms the truth of the gospel in verse 3. He says, Who are the true circumcision? He says, We are. He's talking to congregation in, uh, in, in, in Philippi most of them were Gentiles right? believers who came from other religions and they received Christ Christ receives them and they're washed they're baptized and now Paul says we are the circumcision we are the true circumcision and Paul includes himself with them even though he's a Jew he was probably circumcised physically no doubt but he says but we are the circumcision what is Paul saying here Again, in the Old Testament, circumcision on infant boys would involve the shedding of blood, a sign of the covenant of being cut off from sin and belonging to Christ. This sign was fulfilled in Jesus, who shed his blood on the cross. And all who trust alone on Christ alone for their complete salvation. What happens? They're spiritually circumcised in him. Right? Cut off from sin. Separated from sin. And consecrated to God. That's boys and girls. All people, all whosoever believe in Jesus Christ are spiritually circumcised in him. We are their circumcision, says the Apostle Paul. The water in baptism is a sign. Think about that. The water in baptism is a sign that all believers and their children belong to Christ. It points to the cleansing that we need, the cleansing from Christ through his shed blood, and also to the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. That's what it points to. Baptism itself doesn't save. As soon as you say baptism saves, then it's a Jesus plus system. Right? But baptism points to the one who saves: Jesus. The Lord's Supper. But eating a supper doesn't save us. But it points to the one who saves us. Christ. Christ alone. Nothing else needs to be added to the work of Christ for your salvation. To say that you need to add, to say that we need to add to our own good works, to say that we need to add our behavior, our good behavior, to say that we need to be a better person, to say that we need to be moral, to say that we need washings, to say we need religious practicings like fastings, to say we need to speak in tongues, or do we need to pray a certain way or a number of times a day to say that we need all this for your salvation? is a rejection of the gospel. It's a rejection of Christ because it's not giving Him the glory The glory that is due him. It's a denial of the full sufficiency of the work of Christ on the cross for our sins. No wonder Paul's so strong. Salvation. It's one of two ways. Salvation is all of Christ or you have no salvation. These Jews who were believing in Christ and said, plus circumcision they were denying the sufficiency of Christ. They're denying Christ. They're denying the gospel. Salvation is all of Christ, or there is no salvation at all. It's either all Christ or nothing. He alone saves. But there's more than that. He saves completely from beginning to end. It's His perfect work Dare we rob him of his glory? Dare we rob him of his glory at the cross? The price he paid? The humiliation he went through? And then try to ascribe something to ourselves? His perfect work for us. His perfect sacrifice on the cross for our sins. That's the ground for your assurance and my assurance. The Bible makes it clear that salvation comes through unmerited grace. It doesn't come because of our works at all, but because of the work of Jesus on our behalf. The salvation in Christ, the forgiveness of all our sins, is the only ground for that true joy, for that true fellowship, koinonia, fellowship with God and Jesus and Him one for one another. You remove the gospel. You have no salvation. You have no real fellowship. And that's why Paul says, guard this koinonia, the koinonia of the gospel. Beware of those who would mutilate us. Verse 3 goes on to describe the circumcision people. Who are the circumcision people? Who are they? They're the set-apart people. And Paul gives a again a threefold description of them. He gave a threefold description of the those who taught the false gospel. But what about those who affirm the true gospel, who are sure the true gospel? He disguised them in three ways: those who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ, second of all, and have no confidence in the flesh. You know why? When Christ justifies us, it's all His work. But He justifies us for this. What does He justify us for? Worship. Worship of God in the Spirit. Right? Notice, in the Spirit. Not the flesh. Right? Filled with the Spirit, we worship Him. The second thing is rejoicing in Christ. That's the second thing. Right? Rejoicing in Christ means... That our lives are now Christians and as Christians we're called to rejoice in Him, in everything that we do and all that we say. And third of all, having no confidence in the flesh. Look at these a little more particularly. Worshipping God. Worshipping God truly from the heart. Right? When we're depending on the, on the flesh, we're not worshipping everything okay? Yeah, okay. Um, worship God truly from the heart, what happens? We're renewed in Jesus. It's because we're renewed in Jesus by the Spirit. You know, when we come together as God's people, what is it? What does a justified worshiper look like? One who's justified in Christ. He gives himself in worship to the Lord, and that's because of the work of the Holy Spirit, who renewed him, converted him, and he gives himself to the Lord. It does not ask, this worshiper does not ask, is this fellow worshiper of a high rank or a low rank? Is he white, black, or brown? Does he have a criminal, or she, he or she have a criminal background, or not? We worship God in the Spirit. Doesn't mean we get lost in our worship, but we worship in the Spirit as opposed to not depending on the flesh. It's, it's the Spirit who brings God's people together. Whatever background. He justifies sinners. He justifies the ungodly. Praise God. Let's worship him together. It doesn't ask about all those other things. Second thing, rejoicing in Christ alone. People who depend on religion are usually talking about themselves. They're boasting about who they are and what they have done. But when you rejoice in Christ, who are you boasting of? You're boasting boasting of of who Christ is and what he has done for you. You don't deserve it, but this is, this is who he is for me. This is who he is for us. This is what he's done for us. We have nothing to boast as a possible except of Christ and him crucified. And third, we have no confidence in the flesh. Sometimes, you know, maybe you've heard this too. I hear it from time to time. We hear believers say, believers, oh, she'll get better. I mean, look how good a person she is. And look how involved in the church she is. God will heal her. Are we then to conclude that if God doesn't, that that person is not a good person? You know, this, this is an example of not resting in the gospel. This is putting confidence in the flesh, but not putting our confidence in Christ, in whom we have comfort. He, he is our comfort, whether we live, or whether we die. Such are justified people in Christ, right? They worship God in the spirit. They rejoice in Christ. And they do not put their confidence in themselves. The story is told of a lady who was arguing with her elder about this matter of faith and works. And this lady would say, I think that getting to heaven is like rowing a boat. You think that it is? It's like rowing a canoe, rowing a boat. She said, one oar is faith. The other oar is works. So you have to use both, faith and works, to get there. She said, if you only use one oar, then you just go in circles. Right? Whether it's an oar of faith, If you use the other or, or of works, then you go in circles too. What did the elders say? What did the pastor say? He said, well, there's only one thing wrong with the illustration. Nobody gets to heaven in a rowboat. Nobody gets to heaven in a rowboat. There's only one good work that takes the sinner to heaven. And whose good work is that? Christ. doesn't that give you security, confidence? This is the Jesus who saves. His finished work on the cross. Glory be to Him. Apostle Paul would say, rejoice in the Lord. That's what it comes back to. What do we learn from this? Three simple things. Maybe hard to put into practice though. First, Christ alone is our confidence for today. We're going to see for today for the future, and forever. First of all, for today. It's for your safety that God mentions these things. We live in a world so scared, so much fear, a total loss of confidence, so much uncertainty. And this is so applicable, this teaching, because people are trying to find safety, they're trying to find security, and all kinds of man-made rules. But it's all a false assurance. One man puts it this way, a scared world needs a fearless church. You have this ground in Christ. have to make the church a fearless church. You have Christ. The Bible says Christ was raised from the dead. For what? For our justification. Romans 4.25. Share that truth of the gospel. Hold forth the confidence. The only confidence there is. Share it with your neighbors. Share it with your friends. The hope of the gospel that Christ offers. Second, Christ is the confidence for tomorrow. No, we just don't know what tomorrow is going to bring we see how this country is going from bad to worse. It's, it's moral, you could say it's moral collapse. And the church sometimes becomes afraid. And we do become afraid. But you know what? On the basis of this gospel, you have this rock-solid assurance. What assurance? That nothing, not tribulation in the future nor distress, nor persecution, nor famine, nor nakedness, or peril, nor sword, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in whom? In Jesus, our Lord. You know, as God's people, we have reason to rejoice, even in times like this, and to worship, right? Worshiping in the Spirit, rejoicing in Christ, we now rejoice. And that's not all. Confidence in Christ for eternity. John, 1 John 2.28, we hear these words, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, you may have confidence. Imagine Christ appearing in the robes, in the kingly robes of glory, to judge the living and the dead, and God's people appearing before him with confidence. Not in themselves, but in who he is and what he has done for them. Christ is our confidence on the day of judgment because he bore the full judgment of God for our sin. And with it, he gained for us the untainted joy in full fellowship forever. So necessary. So necessary to say these things, says the Apostle Paul. It's for your spiritual safekeeping. It's for your joy in the Lord. You know what? Trust in Him. He will keep you. He will keep you through thick and thin and your children as well. These are His promises. Amen.